This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Welcome to HITS radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. I'm sitting here today with Don Blair. Don is uh, here in Chicago. We're talking uh, in Chicago at HITS 2019. We're taking a few minutes out of the day to talk about some of the stuff Don's done over the years and his background and a little bit about what the class he taught and and some really good detection uh, training ideas. So instead of me trying to to repeat Don's bio, I'm going to let Don introduce himself. And then I know you have an extensive uh, background, so if you could kind of, for our listeners, uh, talk about what your background is. So with that, Don, how are you today? I'm doing great. And thank you very much for the invite, Jeff. Um, I've had a really blessed career. Anybody who's ever met me, um, I, uh, I really um, tell them all the time. I've worked with some of the best handlers and trainers and dogs um, that I think anybody could have been blessed to work with. Um, I started with dogs when I was about eight years old doing 4-H. Um, I got into, uh, when I got my driver's license, I used to live in Colorado Springs there was a uh, trainer there that used to be the vice president for Ray Allen named Pat O'Connor. Yep. So I used to drive over and Pat would invite me out to watch his Schutzen group and some of the police dog stuff. So I was bitten pretty early. Um, I, uh, at 18, I was working at a kennel in Durango, Colorado, and uh, left there to work at another kennel, a uh, police dog training kennel in uh, Grand Junction, Colorado. Um, I got uh, invited to be kind of a lackey uh, lay tracks, help put out training sure. aids, do some decoy work uh, for the head trainer of the Denver Police Department. He actually helped me fill out my first police resume. Was that Jesse? Jesse Lewis, oh, yeah. yeah. And um, so from that, I got hired on the Lahana Police Department. They had me work about six months without my dog, Ranger, and then I hit the streets. So okay. I did that for about five years and uh, had a, a chance to go to an advanced uh, detection school in Las Vegas, Nevada, where I met Gene McEatherin from U.S. Customs. And uh, a couple years later, I put in to go to Customs, and then uh, I did that on and off for the next 21 years. I left twice to go to the, uh, the private sector, but uh, while I was with Customs, I was a handler in El Paso, Texas, on the border, got promoted to an instructor in Front Royal, Virginia, um, got promoted to a supervisory instructor, and then uh, had an opportunity to go to the field. So uh, I went out to San Luis, Arizona as a second-line supervisor. Just loved it, you know, super activity. Um, you know, if you're a bomb dog handler, God bless you, but you can have your whole career and not find a firecracker. Sure. If you're on the U.S.-Mexican border and you can't find it. dope, you're screwed. Yeah. And so uh, I got but promoted. You're, you're hot, too, though. I think oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little warm. It's blood money, for yeah. sure. <laughs> Um, but uh, I got promoted to the branch chief over in Nogales, Arizona, and um, the uh, customs was talking about some major changes with the advent of uh, Homeland Security. So I quit and went to the private sector and uh, was actually, that was one of the first times I moved here to Illinois to oversee the quality control for uh, detection and patrol dogs for the company worldwide. Got to do some wonderful travel and um, the uh, um, after that company started to go under, I went back to customs okay. and uh, started running the breeding program and the research and development program and uh, left for the second time to another private sector company 
Um, we had uh, partnered with Auburn University to do a couple of the big TSA sure. contracts sure. and uh, left there actually to come to Chicago and was the uh, police dog trainer here in Chicago for the Amtrak Police Department. Okay. Over the course of the next couple of years, I added in the Chicago Police Vaporwake Dogs and the uh, Federal Reserve Dogs here in Chicago okay. and Detroit. And then um, recently, I um, uh, have resigned from Amtrak. I've got a new building that I'm starting up over in Rochelle, Illinois. Right now, it's a giant 11,000 square foot shell, but Perfect. I have higher hopes for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that's it. That's uh, the resume. Yeah, uh, impressive one. So we were talking, what, 40 years at least. And, yeah. and um, obviously thousands of dogs that you've, you've been around. And, and like I said, it's been very blessed. Sure, yeah, I, I feel the same way. I feel very lucky to do what I do. And with that time and experience, um, you know, I think everybody I talk to, uh, it's, it, that's the, one of the blessings is that um, some of that wisdom comes and it's, it's sometimes in, you know, maybe common mistakes and different things. So it, that's what... Uh, um, when I was a younger handler, I always loved being able to pick people's brains and, and get the big picture and stuff. And I know you're teaching a class here that we call Detection Dog Problem Solving. And, and what's the overall view of that, that class of the, so, in a nutshell? So in any kind of technology or any kind of group, you know, you're looking for advancements every three, every five, every 10 years. And so if somebody would have seen me talk 15 years ago, I would have had different kind of priorities that I would have been um, trying to work on. Five years ago, even I had a different program. Sure. But um, over the last five to seven years, I've been trying to really nail down how to have the biggest help in our community for specifically right now for detection dogs. But you could take the same science and roll it into tracking trailing sure. dogs or protection dogs. Sure. And so um, the first thing is kind of job assignments, right? In the, in the old days, everybody said, well, a good canine team is 50-50. Yeah. But as, I, as you take a step back scientifically and look at the job descriptions that a good handler is accountable for yeah. versus a job description that the dog is kind of held accountable for, although it's our training that we put into the yeah. dog, so that's a double whammy there. So, yeah. But the, the, the uh, job descriptions and, and skills and capabilities are so diverse that a great working team is 200. And then, of course, you, you, you have to take in the bad days and everything from that. But, um, and then we have um, the, just the general scientific breakdown of a detection. So when a, a trainer doesn't need to go out and run 40 cars to be able to isolate where the team's issues are. And for this talk, we're specifically talking about the dog. We could certainly do another sure. week-long talk about uh, the handlers. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so specifically what we're talking about is... Um, a single detection exercise from the start all the way through those stages to restarting the dog again to find something else. And so um, I've isolated those behavior points. I'm already working on a couple for five years from now, yeah. a couple yeah. of additions, but I haven't flushed those out and proven uh -huh. them yet. And um, I, I really think from the, uh, the audiences that I have been able to instruct so far, um, from the cadaver dog world into the nose work world sure. and all points in between, um, it really does seem to help even the most layman handler, the brand newbie, uh -huh. all the way up to, I've had really good compliments from even some of the senior trainers and handlers. So let's dive in a little bit deeper in that. So what would be some of the points then of, that we're, we're talking about specifically? 
So specifically, I've broken the, uh, the behavior chain into seven different components, right? Um, so one of just, we'll start from the very beginning sure. of the start. If the, if the black lab comes up to our, uh, the front of the car and he's barking and squalling and spits flying around his face, we can pretty much anticipate that's not, not going to improve. Yeah. And so when we give the dog the command to search, um, we're, we already were starting in the negative, right? Sure. So we're going to grade that start is one of our first behavior points. Is the dog calm, cool, and collected? Are they sampling the air? Um, if we're doing a large open area, are they sampling the air? Or if we're doing object searches or walls, are they focused on that? And then stage two. Let me, and I assume here there's training to go with each of these. So if I present to you with my dog and, and, and stage one doesn't look so good, I'm, I'm assuming then we're going to stop and, and work. You hit it right on the head, and that is exactly why we're doing these. In I'd like for you to take a step back and think of it as an inkjet cartridge, right? Yeah. Each one of these uh, portions of the behavior chain, we can actually unplug and go do targeted exercises that will improve the start, sure. right? And then plug that back into the behavior chain. Yeah. And, of course, the test is very simple. Yeah. What does the dog look like? now versus before yeah. these yeah. targeted exercises yeah so that so that so that's going to be before i go to stage two i'm going to be really good at stage one you what we'll do is we'll run you through and then because i know how valuable police officers sure. training time is so what i like to do is go through the whole behavior chain two or three times and then we'll select the the sections Areas. that need the most work okay okay, okay? and that way um because again i know how valuable training yeah. time is so the start might not be great but it is better than yeah. the tracing to source okay. right okay and so as we move into uh stage two, stage two these components are trained separately uh -huh. but when we deploy the dog they are deployed singularly. Sure. And so that's the hunt slash discrimination, right? Okay. What search ethic does the dog have? And since they will encounter odors that we don't want them to encounter, what are their decision made? How have we armed them with making good decisions sure. and quick decisions? So if we were to go around a normal room, there might be food crumbs, cigarette butts, maybe even some dog smell, right? Yeah. We, I don't want to be too anthropomorphic, but we really want the dog to go no, 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 sure. yes. And so if they're doing that, then eventually they'll come up to the trained odor, right? So now we have phase three of the detection, and that is the alert. And that's the, uh, it, this is my favorite thing to talk about with detection dogs or patrol dogs, because you get the same change yeah. when you're handling patrol dogs. Absolutely. And so we have a physical change in the dog's motor patterns, yep. right? We have that hunting motor pattern. Now, all of a sudden, they screech the brakes on. They now have encountered the trained sure. odor. There's a physiological change in the way that they're scenting odor. So the hunt sniff is different now than the located and tracing to source sniff. And then finally, there's a uh, physiological, or I'm sorry, uh, I've just lost my train of thought. It's my famous three Ps, <laughs> physical, physiological, and psychological. The psychological change happens in the excitement of the dog because they're one enormous step closer to reinforcement. And for a patrol dog, of course, the reinforcement might be a bite, for a narcotic or explosive dog, it's the engagement, that uh, that reinforcement sure. process. So now we have had the alert. 
we're going into the, the next phase, which is the tracing to source, right? So if I'm searching a car, I, I have my start, I have my hunt, discriminate, hunt, discriminate, alert. Tracing to source might only be six inches. Yeah. But that tracing to source, if I'm out on a football field doing an open area, might be 125 yards. Sure. And so when we have honed that skill in the dog, um, we have a dog now that um, kind of knows how to look for everything. Odor supersedes everything. And we have a really excited, um, focused dog that's tracing odor into source. So when we take him back out of the field and put him in a classroom like this, now we've really armed him Absolutely. to be, you know, a pretty lethal weapon. Sure. And so, um, but that tracing the source phase, like I said, can last less than a second or can be several seconds or minutes long. That to me is one of the, as far as the dog processing and learning information, it's by far the most important behavior portion of the chain. Sure. I would agree with that. Then when they finally get to source, we have a mental confirmation from the dog that, of course, you're, you can't read his mind. Um, but the mental confirmation is what spurs in the physical confirmation of the trained final response. Ah. So if it's a nose touch, a paw touch, a sit or a down, the dog has to mentally confirm in his head, I'm at source or as close as I can get. Now I'm going to do that thing that makes my guy throw the ball yeah. to me, right? Yeah. And so we have tracing the source. And then finally, we have the reinforcement. And then... Um, I'm sorry, tracing the source, trained final response. Now we have the next portion, which is reinforcement. And then after reinforcement, the another really important stage, and this is our stage seven final stage, is the restart. We've all worked around those crazy Malinois, yeah. right? Everything's normal until the first hit. Now he's so jacked yeah. up. The third hit doesn't look anything like he did yeah. at the very start. So restarting those dogs now is problematic. Sure, clearing their, so, clear their head. Basically. Clear in their head. So, so if you if you again take a step back, any one of those seven behaviors, we can unplug and recreate in training a few sessions that will improve the alert or will improve tracing the source, etc. Okay, that, and when you were saying the reinforcement, that's the reward. That's the reward. Yep. Paying the dog, paying the dog, and there are there are telltales that also unveil other issues with the team. Um, one of them, of course, is after the alert and during the tracing the source. If we don't see an increase in speed, there's a reinforcement issue. Okay. Because uh, no dog that's impatient to get paid lollygags up to the odor, right? And then, of course, when they're at the odor, they leave the odor. That's an enormous, that's a blinking, flashing light. We have problems with the reinforcement. Okay, so let's go deeper on that. I have to say I have a dog, and he does that. He goes near the odor, and he's kind of working it, but he doesn't lose his mind. He just, you know, is a is a good government employee and gets there when he gets there. <laughs> yep. Um, so that you're saying that's a reinforcement odor or a reinforcement problem. So what is that problem and how do I fix that? So that problem means that the extra effort that the dog needs to put out that he should want to put out, that's the key right sure. there, right? He should want to put out so that he can receive that reinforcement. When the dog doesn't put out that extra effort, then the it tells us, pretty blatantly that the reinforcement is not interesting to them. Uh -huh. So the first thing we would do, of course, if it's a toy reward dog, 
take him back and really reevaluate, do some toy drops with the dog, um, do some drive building with the dog, make sure that what we're delivering is really something that the dog intrinsically values. Yeah, does he like that toy or do we need to find something? Find something different. And uh, then we'd experiment with that for a while. There's another phenomenon sometimes, especially with newer dogs though, and um, it, it actually goes back to the super fundamentals of odor recognition that they're not really clear that this odor is what's going to bring reinforcement. But um, in those instances, you would see other um, uh, confusion points along that whole route, right? And so, but in my experience has been about 95% of the time, it's a reinforcement issue. That that maybe it's just not something that trips a dog's trigger as much and 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 so he's not willing there. Yeah. There's, a, there's an underlying science, right, yeah. called behavioral economics. How much effort am I going to put out for the return? Yeah. And so if the dog's like, yeah, I found it, yeah. but you're going to throw that stupid Kong, which I hate. There's no reason for me. It's better to go sniff grass. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So so in that case, then we're just going to go back to a tennis ball. We're going to find whatever trips his trigger. Yep. And and, and I've had good success doing that word. And I, and I, I guess here's my question then. And we, we haven't discussed any of this beforehand going off topic just a little bit, but you've trained lots of different dogs. I've done the opposite. I've done that with, I'll get a, a detector dog that maybe is so frantic and loses their mind so much that I'll take like a tennis ball. I've had a dog that the tennis ball being around and knowing he's going to get a tennis ball, he loses his mind. Yeah. So then I get a lower value reward that will kind of dial him back just a bit. It'll still work. He still likes it. Yep. You see a problem with that? Not at all. Um, we, I, I have also seen that whether the dog is incapable of functioning with the highest value reinforcement. Yeah. And uh, yep, there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's excellent training. We, you know, you you see it more, I think, in uh, in in bite work than sure. in detection work. But people want these dogs that are so over the top. But when you get them there, they're in the in the red line. They can't think and they can't make decisions. Yeah. And so it's better to keep things low lower stimulation where we're getting the behaviors that we want, but the dog can still completely function and think and make good decisions. And that's where, you know, people have to kick up the amount of corrections or kick up all this stuff. And the goal of a great trainer is to give the fewest amount of teaching corrections and still have an excellent product at the end. Yeah. Okay. Outstanding. So from uh, there, is there other points that you would, when you're, when you're looking at these dogs, is there another point that you would want to throw in? Just to, just and, to, and let's, let's, I'll just say for the, our audience here, this is a, this is going to be a, a 20, 25 minute talk about a two hour lecture, about a lecture that was going to be, a, would be an eight hour lecture that was honed in from a 40 hour day. So we're skimming <laughs> the top of this. And I'm thinking that very much that we'll be able to do several different episodes, you know, and kind of t- touch, talk about different. So is there one other, we're about around the 20 minute mark. We're okay. to keep these. One other point that you like to make the, here. Just the, the other point that I have, um, that I've really noticed in the course of the last four or five years is that many trainers just assume the environment provides enough distraction and discrimination odors. That is not true at all. You should absolutely have targeted and put into your training protocols weekly or, or, or certainly monthly, but ideally weekly setups for the dog to really truly become fluent in their good decision making. So steak no, bitch and season no, motor oil no, dead crow no, C4 yes. And make them as quickly as possible so that that whole behavior chain becomes fluent. 
And so um, that would be one of the other big training points I would I would just encourage people to do. So so actually purposely put out some stuff. A hundred percent purposely. Not just count. Oh, there's stuff yeah. In the not room, just say so well we're in a we're in an office. There's you know people have stuff. No, absolutely targeted on vehicles and luggage and boxes, and we call them distractor training sure. days. And uh, it improves the clarity of the task, what yeah. the dog is looking for, and it really improves the task in the dog of what they're not to be looking sure. for. So I'm envisioning that you probably have your own training aid boxes with this stuff they're, in it. Or they're, they're so simple. We make yeah. them up and then throw them away. Sure. Yeah. Um, we we take a set of cardboard boxes. Yeah. I put pie plates in the bottom of them so it doesn't leach through. and. Uh, tape them to the floor if you have aggressive dogs. Yeah. And then we literally just run that and then we'll switch them around. Dogs have a good cataloging memory. Yeah. We'll switch them around, change the odors, change the amounts in, of, of our trained yeah. odor, yeah. as well as the amounts of our distractor yeah. odors. In your in this train too, um, how much unknown hides do you do with handlers? Then? So whenever we are, um, when we're doing targeted specific training, it, it's almost always known, no. yeah. right? I don't want the handler's bad decision making right. influencing what our yeah. criteria is for that dog training. Uh -huh. But absolutely, um, if we're getting ready for operational environment stuff, 80 to 90% are blind. Okay. And then in your, once they're up and operational and you're doing just maintenance training every week what what would be the percentage there of known and, and so maintenance about the same about 80 20 yeah. um unless we're doing again some targeted specific sure. stuff and then it will literally reverse 80 percent of the time they'll know 20 percent of yeah. the time they won't know okay. and um when we are uh, i always call it kind of kicking the tires yeah. uh when we're testing that out though i also put them in a situation um where uh, we have recently, within the last 18 months, have started to add in double blind testing. Uh -huh. And um, that has increased the confidence in the handlers yep. uh, just unbelievably. Yeah, I think. And, and double blind, I'm sure most people know, but that's basically where you're going to set up a training environment, maybe down the hallway in a couple of rooms. And when they present to you to, to do the uh, search, you'll tell them the first four rooms on the left and come back and tell me where you found something. Yep. yep. It, it, people make it sound like double blind is difficult yep. to do. It's not difficult at all. Makes it easier. You don't have to move. You just yeah. point, and that, point down the hallway. Yeah. Go, and it, it, but it, it really does. The first couple times they do it, um, and, and I think that's pretty uh, normal. A lot of handlers don't do well at it at first. Yeah. Um, but once that becomes part of your regular training protocol, yeah. it, it, it's such worthwhile improvement. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. We, we do that a lot. And, and it's a, I think it's fun. It's a little more challenging. And, well, and, and it's total real world. Exactly. Right? The exactly. trainer isn't with you when you're out deploying at exactly. night, three in the morning. Yeah. So exactly. And and what I what what I've ran into a little bit with some of the people I've trained with is when you first say that, I think they worry about what if my dog falses. Well, if he does, he does. It's, he's not right. broken. We'll, let's figure out why he did it. We'll go back and then Absolutely. we'll do some training. But we're going to start off doing that. It's not the end of the world. I, I know we're running out of time, but I'd like to finish up with that, that very statement, right? I think a lot of trainers label not only the dogs, but they label um, the dog's performance or the handler's performance. And I think if we can get away from that a little bit and just say kind of needs improvement, right? Yeah. If you tell everybody it was a bad or the dog did bad, 
that that has a long yeah. occurring tail with it. Yeah. If you say, okay, there's our homework for next week, yeah, we right? It's not good and it's not bad. It's completely true information. Yeah. And what better way to start next week's training yeah. with true information? Yeah, and I think you and I, we've never trained together, but I think we're probably on the same page that when I train, if everything goes good that day, I feel bad because that means we didn't push the envelope. Exactly, and yeah. I, and I think training should be hard and it should be uh, new new things for the dog. It should be new experiences and, and push the envelope. And if they have a miss or if they have some difficulty in, then that's, like you say, good information that we're going to work on it, next week. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, that if if some trainer comes to me and said their dogs always get 100%, they are not pushing the envelope. Yeah. You could ask any of the folks I train with. A miss a session is normal. A couple misses a week is normal. Yeah. And uh, and sometimes when we're really, you know, if we're testing the dog's concepts of, say, something like high aids, um, we'll have a series of rooms set up. But, you know, we, we may start to have misses at 10 feet or 12 feet. Then we're not going to go to do the 20 feet yeah. room. But for the guys that are going through, what a confidence booster, yeah, you know. Was, and, and it's not that the other guys did bad. We just got to do more yeah. work on it. So I'll pick your brain on that. We've set up training, you know, you've set up something and I come to you and, and for whatever reason, I've got a, I've got an experienced dog. He knows the odors. I mean, he's dialed in, but on this day, he's having trouble with some height for some reason. My thought always is, is that I'm not giving it to him. He's going to go in, he's going to earn it. If he hasn't earned it and for whatever reason, I'll work it a little bit. If it's not tripping his trigger, I'll move on. I'll come back to him late. I'll come back to it later, try it again. And I've seen it with other dogs where maybe the other dogs nail it. For whatever reason, my dog's having trouble. But the last thing, personally, what I'm going to do is walk over and show him where it is. He's got to earn Is that kind of how you would do it? A hundred percent. I always call it artificial training, right? Yep. We've now taken what should have been good training and we've made it so artificial that nobody walks away learning anything, yep. but the dog got a freebie reward. So we took our standard and dropped it on the ground yep. and he stepped over it. Yep. That's never how I want to be training. Nope. And, and a miss is a miss, right? If you don't get to search it a third time or a fourth yep. time, you're out the door and it's a miss and it goes in your records. But along with your records, here's our training protocol yeah. and how we fix it. Yeah. And that's what I don't, I don't see a miss as, I mean, for whatever reason, did the odor didn't trip the dog's trigger. So I will right away go out and I'll take that same odor. I'll put it out in several different areas and I'll make sure it's not an odor problem. I'll exactly. Yeah. And why it happens that they're dogs and they won't tell me when I talk to them, they won't talk back to me sometimes where people get panicked. Like you're not going to go back there. Nope. I mean, at, at like uh, one one uh, group that I trained with, they they've came up with I don't know where they came. They were, they were trained this way, but but they've said that you know if I go four feet past it, then I need to be told to go back to it. And I don't know why four feet's magical, right. but for me, you've passed it. Just keep on moving. We'll talk about it later and do it. But I, I want to pick your brain, see if you were kind of on that yeah, same absolutely. Same I think in in. They're right there, and, I, and I, I certainly would never pick on the group without no. meeting and seeing them, but the, that becomes then a trigger, right? Exactly. The, yeah. just, the, just the verbalization of the trainer talking to the handler yeah, the is knows. a cue yeah. for me. Now I actually yeah. need to work. Yeah. And so, and the dogs are masters. You know this better oh, than yeah. anyone. Masters at human language, not understanding, but knowing that means something. Yeah. Then they look at the body language of everybody. Yeah. They just read the room. Yeah. You know, in fact, I, I actually came up with on that same thing when when we're training, I'm training a handler. If, if I need to confirm that the dog is correct or not correct, 
you know, what I actually came up with, and it seems to work pretty good because I don't want the, the dog because they learn yes and no faster yes. than handlers do sometimes. Yep. So what I actually came up with is if it's yes, it's a letter. If it's no, it's a number. Oh, and the good. dog never the dog never knows it. So P yeah. sounds different than A, and then the, and it's just part of the conversation. And, and it's, yeah. it's worked out pretty well. So the dogs, I'm not cueing them, and it's always different. You know? Yeah, so that's an excellent it, system. You know, it, but but you're right; they are masters at picking up all that. So. Yeah, I, I wish I knew half of. We wouldn't need lie detector tests if we had that that kind of mind. Exactly. Yeah. So outstanding, Don. Well, I know I'm going to be picking your brain more once we get. Uh, you're, we're both here uh, at Hits and. I know, I think you live here, so you don't have a long way to travel, I think. You're no, there. about 70 miles, but yeah, so. um, I would like to say thank you very much to the HIT staff for the invite. Absolutely. Um, I've had a wonderful time and enjoyed it very much. Absolutely. We're glad to have you. We'll be in Phoenix next year, and I'd like to get you back down there. And, and yeah, you, don't, you won't have to ask twice. Okay, I appreciate <laughs> that. So thanks, and we're going to be doing uh, some more for, for those of you that are listening today. If you have some specific questions that you want me to pose to Don, uh, shoot me an email, Jeff at hitsk9.net, Jeff at hitsk9.net. Shoot me some emails, and as I talk to Don, I'll be uh, doing more podcasts in the upcoming months with him. So uh, pose some some tough questions. I want to make I want to make it hurt on him a little bit. <laughs> let's challenge him a little bit, and let's uh, get deeper with. You know, we got we got a lot of experience here, and I want to put it to use. So thanks again, Don. Uh, more information uh, will be in Phoenix next year. Hits 2020 Phoenix. Uh, go to hitsk9.net. It's Canaan.net. We'll give you all the information. And there's also a, we'll put the bio of uh, Don on there so you guys can see uh, the person you're talking to, you're listening to. So thanks again. I appreciate it, Don. Thank you. Hits Radio is brought to you by the professionals at Hits Training and Consulting. Don't miss out on the world's largest law enforcement canine training conference. Hits has the most diverse class schedule to fit your training needs. And with over 100 vendors, you'll find everything you need to gear up for your next shift. Register today and save at www.hitscanine.net.